my last podcast, I talked about the two dimensions to language. There's the logical use of the words and their meaning, and there's the emotion that we attach to these words. One of the best ways that kids can deal with bullying is to extract the emotional component by taking the words quite literally. For instance, if somebody was to say, you're full of shit, you can simply say, no, you know, I thank you for your concern, but uh, I've been to the toilet and I'm not, but thank you very much. And if you don't have that emotional reaction, the bullies eventually give up. They're looking for a weak point and they go for it. And the more emotional reaction they get, the more they will continue to bully. A whole society is moving away from taking words in their meaning, in their practical sense, and more towards the emotional nuances of words. There's whole movements that say that if you're not offended by a word, well, you should be. Or if you're, if somebody says to a, a woman that um, calls her love, for instance, it used to be a common phrase in England, and now there's a whole movement saying that women should be offended by this. We should be cultivating strength and robustness, and instead we're actually cultivating, cultivating weakness and vulnerability. It's ironic that the women's movement who say they want women to be strong are actually cultivating women to be weak. I saw a video of a, a woman in England, she was on a bike, and she was chasing after a van. And in the video, you just see catch up with this van and she tore the wing mirror off and she's uh, shouting abuse at the van driver. And it turns out that the the driver had wolf-whistled her and uh, as a result she chased after the van. Now, reading some comments about this, it seems that it was staged, it wasn't real. But many, many of the comments, who obviously didn't know that, were saying, good on her, you know, this is how we should deal with bullies and so on. Now, this isn't cultivating strength, strong reaction would have been to just let it roll off and have no effect and walk away. Strength is not being pushed around by people's words. And complaining and whinging are not signs of strength. In many universities, they have what they call trigger word warnings. And some lecturers are unable to talk about issues like rape and so on because this will trigger something in people and um, and they, they don't want that. Really, they are cultivating weakness. The, the person who gets triggered by the word rape should be doing therapy so that the word rape has no effect on her. Now, when people have a phobia of spiders or, or something like that. One way of dealing with this in psychology 
is exposure therapy. You expose them more and more to spiders until they're immune, inured to it. And really, it's the same with words like rape and so on. Instead of not exposing people to this, we should be exposing to them until they become inured to it. We are cultivating weakness. There's something called microaggression, again in universities, most predominant in universities. And microaggression is when you say something to somebody, you know, in some minority, and everybody's a minority of one kind or another, and they take that to be a, an, a, an affront or something like that. And this is called microaggression, and it's acknowledged that this so-called microaggression may be quite innocent. So in other words, you can be aggressive without knowing that you're being aggressive, and the context for whether it's microaggression or not is not what you do, but how the other person takes it. So, which is obviously completely out of your control. So you can say something completely innocent and then be accused of microaggression. And many of the examples I've seen of microaggression, some of them are just inane comments and some of them are just based on ignorance. Well, if they're based on ignorance, the person should be saying, no, this isn't this or isn't that. But instead, we've put emotion into these words. And this emotion makes people vulnerable and weak. You see, one word we should be abolishing from our vocabulary is the word blame. When somebody feels affronted or offended, they blame the other person. So here's an example a different example. Let's imagine you park your car in a very busy road and you leave the keys in the car whilst you dash into a shop. You think it's going to be quite okay. You dash in to grab something. You held up a bit longer than you thought, but when you come out, your car's gone. It's been stolen. Now, who's to blame? Are you to blame for leaving the keys in the car? Or is the burglar to blame for driving the car off or is the council to blame for not, not putting signs up saying please do not leave your car unattended with the keys in it or so on or so on and let's get rid of the word blame and look at responsibility the person whose car it was has to take responsibility because they left the keys in the car the burglar who took the car the thief has to take responsibility for taking the car and they're going to be held responsible it's the same with words. We blame the other person for using these words. No, we have to take responsibility for being offended. You can choose to be offended. This is a strange thing. People think this is something outside of their control. But there's whole movements, as I said, saying that you should be offended. If somebody says this or somebody says that, you should be offended by it. Well, if you should be offended by it, they're saying that you have a choice. And if you've got a choice, you can choose to not be offended. Instead of training people to be strong and robust, particularly our kids, we are making the world into a place where everybody's safe and nobody can be offended. Except, of course, this is, depends on your standpoint, because from another standpoint, it may not be... The, be the case. So 
we put warning signs on on things you know please do not iron iron this shirt whilst you're wearing it for instance and we don't allow people to do things that might be dangerous and what's considered dangerous nowadays can be uh would a few years ago have been considered quite normal even climbing trees and things like this is banned in certain places because this might be dangerous so one of the things that I see as a therapist is a fear of heights. And what you find is that the, the people who are afraid of heights often had parents who were very protective. They didn't allow the kids to climb trees or anything like that. The kids who climb trees and maybe even fell off a tree don't become afraid of heights. They know well, the worst that can happen is you fall off. Well, I've been there, but I've done that and I probably know not to do it again. It's not the end of the world. By making our kids safe, we are making them weak. We are not allowing them to explore and use their imagination and go out into the world. The world seems as a dangerous place. Another facet of this is this very controversial idea of transgenderism. Now, I've talked a bit about this. And Jordan Peterson got into a lot of trouble, and he still is, you know, in his talks, he can be shouted down because there's a segment of society that doesn't like him. And this is, again, is, is down to the emotion. Nobody actually sits down, or these people don't sit down and say, what's he actually saying? They don't, they associate an emotion with him and then they try and stop him talking because they want to prevent that emotion coming out, what they see as emotion. And one of the things that he was very strong about was the idea of uh, pronouns, um, he, she, it, they, so on, to do with transgenderism. He said, why should anybody else? tell me what pronouns I should use. Now, the, uh, the other argument is that by not using the what they call the correct pronoun on somebody who's transgender, you're causing them emotional problems, and these emotional problems can even lead to suicide. So, in other words, we have to change, we ordinary people have to change, because other people are weak. Now, we should be developing robustness in these people, so that they're not blown away just because somebody bursts their bubble. You know, you get some six foot two hefty bloke who decides there's going to be a woman. And most people who see him with his stubble don't see him as a woman. And when they say, they use the word he, he gets, she gets quite offended by it. And we're supposed to change. It's like he's got this image of himself. It's a fantasy. And there's, there's a whole raft of doctors and surgeons who will play into this fantasy of them pretending to be something that they're not, instead of the person themselves coming to terms with what they are and simply going, going on with life. We have to adjust. You see, we are told that somebody who's convinced they're transgender, when they, have, they need this operation, 
maybe in the drugs, to change their perceived gender. Otherwise, this causes emotional problems and the suicide rates, and we're showing graphs of the suicide rates and so on. But now we're told, oh no, it's not having the operation, that's not enough. We have to use these words, otherwise, look, look at these graphs, they commit suicide and so on. Well, hold on, wasn't the operation supposed to solve that problem? So what's the next step? We have to go around in this fantasy world where we all pretend that they're uh, they perceive, or that we perceive them as, as men or women or whatever they, they want to be, rather than them developing a reality, it's almost, one can almost say it's a sign of maturity to say how different is your perception of yourself from the perception that other people have of you. And in this sense, we are cultivating immaturity. We see a rise in kids of Asperger's syndrome. And one of the characteristics of Asperger's is that if we take the kid, usually a kid, I mean, that can grow up, of course, and we can get Asperger's adults. But if we take the person out of their routine in terms of space and time, and I've talked about this in a previous podcast, it relates to left and right brain thinking. But if we take them outside of their routine, they get extremely disruptive. And many paediatricians will give advice to the parents to say, no, keep them safe. Make sure you've got a routine for them. Make sure that everything is as it is. Well, it doesn't work. All you're doing is you're not giving them the opportunity to develop new ways of, of seeing the world and new and develop the, the, the brain the, new, the brain pathways to deal with new experiences. And there was a, an account I saw of a, a bloke who was, had a very severely Asperger's son. I think he was about 11 years old. He had a daughter, I think, as well. And his advice was, as I said, and he realised it wasn't getting anywhere. And he realised that the way it was going, his son was going to have a very, very sheltered life. And he decided instead to do the complete opposite. And in fact, he sold his house. And with the money, him and his family went on a round-the-world trip. And he talked about going to South Africa and going to Soweto, Soweto and one of these areas there. And he stopped the car and he said to his son, right, you go into that place there and buy us food for tonight. Now, for most people, this would be outside your comfort zone. For a son, this was almost traumatic. But he dealt with it, and, and after a while, any sign of Asperger's had, had completely disappeared. He had developed new neural pathways that enabled him to deal with difficult situations. And it's very important for people, even non-Asperger's, and, and Asperger's is an, it's not a disease it's an it's a syndrome you know you tick a certain number of boxes and they say well you've got Asperger's but many people have certain attributes of Asperger's today because we live in such a sheltered society and it's very important to get yourself out of your comfort zone and when people say to me oh well I'm not the kind of person that 
you know, plays a musical instrument or hugs their kids or goes to the gym, I say, well, what would it be like to be that kind of person? What's stopping you? We should embrace new things and the more awkward we feel sometimes, the more we're going to benefit from it. Learning new instruments and learning new languages are instances of uh, coming in contact with another aspect of the, the brain. If we're very left-brained, we have to bring about right brain, some, some right brain activity in order to do these things. There are games that you can do on the, on the phone and so on, and they say this will increase neural pathways. I think with some of these games, there may be an element of truth in that when you first start the game. But of course, after you've played a game for a bit and you've developed those neural pathways, it just becomes same old, same old. You have to move on to something else. People who have got three languages aren't going to really extend themselves by learning a fourth language. And people who play two musical instruments aren't really going to extend themselves by learning a third. But if you don't know any languages or you don't know any musical instruments, then that's where you're at inside your comfort zone and that's where you're going to get the stimulation. It's my view that one of the reasons, there's a number of reasons, but one of the reasons why there's such a rise in degenerative mental diseases as people get older is because they don't stretch their minds. In general, life forces us to do things we're not familiar with and we're not comfortable with. But the more we overprotect our outside life, the less we're stretched and the less we develop new ways of thinking and new neural pathways. There's a perception, and I think it's probably a correct one, that the West is heading for probably another big economic crash. And this could be well worse than the situation in the 1930s. But if we go back to the 1930s and the 1940s, people were at least more robust. People could fend for themselves. People could do their own, cook their own meals. People were prepared to go out and do different things. Now, there's, there's kids, if you took away their mobile phone or the internet went down, they're, they're completely traumatised by it. People aren't robust. Thank you for listening. You can leave comments on my Podbeam page. You can email me, phil at braham.net. You can visit my website, podcasts.braham.net. And I hope to hear back from you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.